0: so in the end of Joshua chapter 5 uh, Joshua has that encounter with the commander of the lord's armies and uh, he has that thought and that statement where he says basically whose team are you on and uh, the lord of hosts says neither I'm here you know as commander of the lord's army and tells him to take off his Shoes because he's on holy ground, and the reason that it's holy ground is uh, because the Lord is going to conquer that territory, and that territory belongs to the Lord. It is uh, His land, His promised land for His people, and uh, and the Lord's presence is there, and uh, so that holiness. And I think it's important that we. Understand that in our own lives and and i'm i'm sort of touching on this before we begin into chapter 6 because this is the beginning of God's conquest of the land of israel and israel as a people cooperate with God through that process uh, As they conquer the enemies of God and the territory to claim it as their own but it belongs to God so within our own lives we need to understand that uh, we stand on holy ground because the Lord has claimed us as his own. And, uh, you know, as for me in my house, Joshua is going to say later, we will serve the Lord, our homes, our lives, the places where our children are. Uh, those places belong to the Lord. And, and it is our responsibility to follow that commander into battle. And to see those things conquered for the Lord. And if you haven't noticed, all around you is enemy territory that needs to be conquered for the Lord. Not not in some sense of pride or arrogance or destruction, but that the world around us is not in submission to our king. And it is hurting them. Which destroying them. A big part of why the Lord sends the nation of Israel into Canaan to conquer these people is because they are so destructive. They are incredibly murderous. They kill all of their neighbors. They fight and destroy everything in their path. They kill their own children. Uh, They're murderous people. And God has sent his messengers to them repeatedly, uh, begging them to stop. And they have refused. And so now the Lord is using the nation of Israel to discipline them, correct them, claim the territory as his own. And make no mistake, that's a lot of what's going on in our nation today. Is that the Lord is allowing things to happen in order to bring his people to repentance. Because it is our sin, and I do mean to say that our sin as the church, which is so detrimental to the world around us. We we can be the remnant, maybe just those in this room and those like us in other rooms that have submitted their lives to Christ. Uh, there may not be a widespread revival. We pray for that, right? That, that is our desire. But uh, there can always be the remnant, those who understand the authority of Christ and submit to that. And that's My prayer for all of us. So Joshua chapter six, verse one. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out. None came in because they were terrified of the nation of Israel. Uh, We read in Joshua chapter uh, two uh, that as soon as we heard these things, our hearts uh, melted. Neither did there remain any courage And anyone because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. That was Rahab's confession to the two spies that had come into her home. And uh, she actually makes the point within that, that as soon as you left Egypt 40 years earlier, uh, we here in Canaan were all terrified of you. When you crossed the Red Sea, our hearts melted within us. And they've been waiting in dread for this day. And then even more terrifying, uh, right, because, you know, word of mouth is one thing, right? And you can go through the process of wrestling with whether you're going to believe that the Red Sea parted or not. But now they've come to the Jordan River directly across from them at flood stage. And that water stopped and stood up in a heap. And they watched the people cross over in front of them. And now they are completely terrified of the nation of Israel and what's in store for them. So they've closed their city and they've taken defense. Um, We've talked many times about how uh, when you talk to people and they scream and yell and show great opposition, we often think of that as some great barrier, that they're extremely resistant to to our message. And uh, I believe it was C.S. Lewis that said, when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yells the loudest is the one that you hit. So it is with our message. When you proclaim the gospel and somebody's protesting wildly, it is probably because it's tearing a hole in their heart. It's probably because the one who just says, oh, thank you very much. I appreciate your position and just sort of brushes you off that that's probably the one that you need to be, you know, the, the most concerned about, about being the most resistant to your message. The one that's screaming really loud is probably the one who's right on the brink of collapse. So it is here. They're terrified and they've shut up the city. They've built a wall around themselves. They will not let anything penetrate is the attitude that they've Taken, and they're about to be defeated. In verse 2, it says, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. Now listen, he speaks of it in past tense, right? That That's significant. This is already a done thing. I have already given Jericho into your hand. Uh, now this isn't some uh you know health wealth and prosperity message of name it and claim it you know you just uh, positively confess victory victory and it will be done you know there there are those false teachers within christianity that insist that you know the belief system of the eastern mystics is true and that we need to just you know don't say if you're sick don't say you're sick just say that you're healthy you know, positively confess, if you're poor as dirt, just insist that you're rich and you will be rich and you will be healthy and you will be prosperous. Well, I'll tell you what, um, that will destroy your faith quicker than anything, right? Jesus said to the apostles, you will always have the poor amongst you, right? Amongst you as believers, there are always going to be poor people. In Corinthians, Paul rebukes the church for the fact that the rich people are making gluttons of themselves at the communion meal while the impoverished are going without. And he talks about how they are all one body and should care for one another. So there is always going to be people that are sick, always going to be people that are in need. But when the Lord claims a territory, then it is his. Okay. so 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 here's here's an application okay, you're a believer, I think you can understand that as a believer, the Lord would not want you to also be a drug addict and an alcoholic, okay? I say that because I struggled with drugs and alcohol uh, in my youth, and the Lord delivered me from that. You know, that's territory he has claimed in his word, that, that as a child of God, I cannot simultaneously be A drunkard. So it's his territory, right? Take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. You know, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That belongs to him. So so I can say of that sin, if it were in my life, uh, this is going to be conquered. Not not with some arrogance like I'm going to do it, (laughs) right? Because it takes the strength of the Holy Spirit to see these things defeated on behalf of the Lord. But I can say, oh, that's already got to go. That's going to be conquered. I can't turn around and then also say, and I will also always be healthy, right? Paul was very sick with something that he described as a thorn in his flesh, which we know was like a giant wooden stake driven through his body. That's how it is described in the Greek language. And he asked the Lord to remove it three times. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you, right? You're going to have that and have to deal with that with my grace is what he said To Paul. So we shouldn't allow for false teachings to intermingle with the truth of God's word and convince us of something that's not true. Here, Jericho's defeated already. God has claimed it. If God's claimed it, who are we to argue with him? So they are defeated, and in that, the king and the mighty men of valor. Okay, so the city, the physical city, which is two layers of fortified walls, the outer wall, 10 foot thick. The inner wall, twenty foot thick, fifteen foot gap between them. Uh, probably uh, based upon, because we found the ruins. Probably based upon uh, the ruinous heap that we have there, between thirty and forty feet high. Each of these walls. So that is already conquered. God is saying that's already a done deal. If you're Joshua and the nation of Israel, no matter how you know strong you are as a military. Uh, presence, looking at those walls, that's the first thing that's got to go. And you're never going to even be able to engage the enemy unless you get through or past those walls. God says that's already defeated. So in the mind, the wall would defeat you. God's saying that's already down. The second thing you're thinking of is the commander over all of those that would fight me. So his military experience and prowess, because this nation were slaves, and then what have they been? Well, campers, right? You know, with some uh, ability to defend themselves that they've developed. Uh, you know, Og and Bashan that they've fought and conquered. They've 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 proven that they've developed some military fighting skills along the way, but they've never come up against a fortress like this. So within God's mind, in His statement. Walls are down, kings conquered, and the army in its elite uh, elements is already defeated, so you have nothing to worry about. Uh, I'm sure Joshua was still struggling to believe the Lord in that, but this is the claim the Lord makes. You shall march around the city, all you men of war, you shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days, one pass around the city, six days in a row, and... Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. The seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Now, look, if uh, you've ever had an experience of dealing with a problem, dealing with something that needed to be conquered for the Lord, um, if you've taken one, two, three runs at it, I'm like I'm going to see this thing conquered and rid from my life. Well, you know, the 2,236,922nd 2, time you've taken a run at it, uh, you're usually defeated before you even start the process. These people are walking around these walls, and if they're anything like us, they're probably doing that thing like, we could probably throw grappling hooks right here. This is the shortest section of the wall. I've only noticed, like, scarce amount of guards here. You know, they have no idea what's inside. They have no idea what it means to go over that first wall right uh, you know they've heard there are two walls right because spies have been inside the city but in their imagination what does that look like what does that mean so they're passing around these walls repeatedly and and tell me you would not be doing the same thing examining every crack and crevice and looking at every element of this thing like how are we going to take this thing down and, and and this process goes on for an entire week As they're imagining all of these things, formulating how they're going to conquer the city. What's interesting uh, to me is they start every day in Gilgal, which is where they cross the Jordan, where the big pile of 12 stones is, that is there to remind them that river dried up And you walked across. Look at the stones. Remember the river. Stones, remember the river. Remember the Red Sea. Remember the Red Sea. Remember Egypt. Remember the ten plagues and the destruction of Pharaoh. Remember, remember start the day remembering. And with a sacrifice. Make the sacrifice to God. Confession of sin. Right? Covering of sin. At the beginning of the day. Remembrance and sacrifice, march around the city, end of the day, come back to the place of remembrance and offer the evening sacrifice. They begin the day in sacrifice and remembrance. Uh, There's a very important thing, right? Uh, You know how it is, right? You you start the day in the word and, and, and you see the Lord's plan and you see his work and you remember what the Lord said in your heart and then you depart out and then you examine all the cracks and crevices of the fortress in your life. And, and your mind slips from God is going to conquer this thing. You, you, we engage in how am I going to do this? How, what is my process going to be? How should I? What steps should I be taking? The steps you should be taking are the ones that are right in front of you, and that's it. You, you, as soon as you finish this step, take the next one, and then the next one, and, then, and just walk around the thing like God told you to do. Obediently take the next step. That's all it is. This is what God is teaching them. And honestly, you guys, you know, if, if it sounds like I'm oversimplifying it, this is the lesson God teaches them throughout the entire process of conquering the land. What are we supposed to do next? Take the next step I tell you to do immediately after this. Many of you know, Right. Uh, you know, if you've thought ahead and, I, you know, spoiler alert for next week's uh, sermon, but, you know, the, the AI is going to conquer them. And it's because, right, Achan steals from Jericho. He takes what he's not supposed to do. Now, we all look at that passage sometimes and we think, well, that Achan was an idiot. Why in the world did he do that? Well, here's the truth of the matter. Israel was doing the same thing. Oh, we've gone and we've examined the next city, and it's so simple, we don't even have to send everybody. Just send a few thousand guys, and we'll all go over there, and we'll trounce them. And, and they are throttled, right? And people die, and they have to come back and defeat. They, they, they did not follow God's plan. They didn't even inquire of God's plan, and they moved out ahead of God's plan, and they saw themselves defeated in the process. So here, the lesson is very simple, but it's one that they're going to live by throughout the whole process. It shall come to pass, verse 5, when they make a long blast of the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down, or fall flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Now, that straight before him is... Wherever you are when this happens, you turn and go straight into the city and you kill whatever uh, resistance you meet as you, you go into that city. That's your responsibility. Now, uh, both things are true here, uh, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm stretching a little bit, but I want you to hear this because uh, if we take a church application to this today, very often... Uh, people look at the things the Lord has called us to do within the ministry, and they look over at what their neighbor's doing, and they say, I I would prefer to be over there doing that ministry. And the Lord is saying, I want you to do what I put right in front of you. When the walls come down and you turn into the city, you go straight into what's straight in front of you. You don't have to look. That can go either direction, right? Right. Uh, you know, the mighty man of valor might think, uh, well, there's hardly no resistance right here. Uh, I want to be over there in the thick of the fight, and instead I've got to be here in this wimpy little battle. You know, these few people that I've got to mop up after. Uh, you know, this person over here who's in an intense battle is looking over at the mighty man of valor and their position, and they're thinking, how in the world did I end up with all of this problem? Why do I have to tackle all of this enemy. I'm not equipped for this. Why why doesn't that person come over here? The Lord is saying wherever you are, when that wall comes down, that's your responsibility. Move straight ahead into that. Don't try to move into territories that don't belong to you. The other portion of this is the obedience in silence and then the obedience in shouting. The Lord does not want them to be doing things other than what they've been commanded to do. Our message is very simple. Uh, you know, if if you're thinking like somebody else needs to be a minister in my sphere of influence, because I'm not very skilled, I don't know how to share the message, I'm not an apologist, I, I wouldn't know how to do the things I need to. God has put you in the environment that you're supposed to be in with the message that you're supposed to have. Um, if you know John three sixteen. Uh, then you're fully equipped to share the gospel. That's that's how simple it is. If you have studied endlessly for decades and you're very skilled at all of the discussions and arguments, then that's your fight. That's your method. Whatever the Lord has given you, we don't have to look for any greater capabilities. I'll give us a couple of verses of reminder. Right, First uh, Corinthians chapter two, verses one through five. Paul said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined, I determined not to know anything except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And so we're clear the power Paul is talking about is the power to change a life, right? Paul performed amazing miracles. People were healed and raised up and restored, all kinds of things. The power he's talking about, and I'm not just trying to dumb it down or something, is literally the gospel message ability to change a person's life. That's the power that he's talking about. It came in spirit of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. And then, of course, Romans 1, verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And just so we understand, uh, the Jew isn't more important than Gentiles. He's just saying in numeric order, the Jews received the message First, and then the Greeks and the, the Gentiles did afterwards. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is the simplicity of your tools and your weaponry. You don't need to, you know, oh, well, I hear God's call in the ministry uh, in you know, service uh, to him, but I need to go to seminary first, right? If you get to go to seminary, great. If If that's the place where God directed you straight into, then you should do that. But uh, my suspicion is God has put things right in front of you, and those are the things that you should be attacking with whatever you're presently equipped with, right? Maybe that's just a smiling face and an open invitation to help people get to church, right? We, we don't have to have some clever thing and some highly developed skill. Verse 6, Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. They're going to carry their weaponry, but they're not fighting. Fighting will come, but they're they're to go into this armed in the process. Uh, The weapons of our warfare, right, are not carnal. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 says, The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So we need to arm ourselves in the spirit with the word of God. Um, all of the different arguments that you have from the critics about how the walls came down. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30 says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. People often try to find Natural explanations for miracles, right? In the end, they're making miraculous explanations for the miraculous. I I read lengthy discussions about how the combined marching of millions of people's feet loosened the foundations as they marched around and the trumpet blasts daily the resonance of these trumpets was specifically tuned to the walls of Jericho loosening all the mortar so that on the 7th day you know you listen to some people and they're they're trying to dismiss the supernatural well look even if all of that sort of junk is true how miraculous is it that God told Joshua that this is the method you need to do, and then it accomplished His work in the end. Okay, I don't believe for one minute that marching feet and blown trumpets, be they ram's horn or brass or whatever, is what caused the walls to come. God crushed those walls. Okay, uh, but but when people try to to you know develop all of these things in their dismissal of God you're just making the the miracle more complex god crushed the walls that's that's what happened you know massive fortified walls all uh, with a slight pitch inward so that they were compressing in on themselves so so that falling outward would have been impossible and and we know from the archaeological digs that have been done in this location that all of the walls fell simultaneously outward Right at the, at the exact same moment, they, they fossilized vegetation underneath the walls so that when the digs were done and stuff was moved out of the way, they were able to see all of these stones hit the ground at the exact same time. Everything was in the same state uh, of maturity and pollination. The walls came down at one moment. From the inside, they fell outward. That's a miraculous work of God. You don't have to, uh, you know, develop anything weird. I want to point something out, okay, in this regard, the way people try to naturalize God's word, right? The discussion of the Red Sea, right? God parts the Red Sea, they cross over on dry land. You know, the the modern scholars, you know, they all want to say, no, 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 that's an incorrect translation. It was actually the Reed Sea, which is just a little bit further inland, from the Red Sea, and it's a shallow marshland. Its deepest point is 18 inches. And when the wind blew, it just moved the water back far enough so that the people could just wade through, you know, ankle-deep, knee-deep water. So it wasn't really miraculous. It was just they were going through the Reed Sea. What's more miraculous is that the entire Egyptian army drowned in the sea, right? I mean, you know, well, you, you, know you just got riders, like, forcing their horses' heads underwater. It's just, it gets really stupid when, when you you're trying to dismiss the supernatural with the natural, okay? And now from there, you can look at those types of things and think, well, that's, it's almost demonic the way they're trying to dismiss God's miraculous work. But I want to point something out, right? Most of us are familiar with Galatians chapter five. Uh, it'll seem out of place at first, but let me finish the thought. Galatians chapter five, verse 19 through 20, where it says, now the works of the flesh are evident, obvious, plain to see, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, right? all works of the flesh. And, you know, those are obvious that th- those aren't things of the Lord. Those are things of the flesh. And we read that and we think, right, yeah, that's yeah, plain to see, works of the f-. But, but hear this, you guys, at the end of verse 20, dissensions, heresies, false teachings. That's a, just a work of the flesh. You know, as as much as maybe uh, you struggle with, I don't know what, selfish ambition or outbursts of wrath or maybe drunkenness is a thing that you've wrestled with in the past. As natural, you think, yeah, that's just kind of my nature. You know, people push my buttons. I lose my temper. That's the way I am. I got to get that under control. I need the Lord to give me victory in this area. False teachings emerge from our flesh as easily as those other things, heresies, right? You don't have to sit down and listen to some false teacher. Your imagination will create stuff that's incredibly ungodly. Read the word of God and then just think, oh, I wonder if that happened this way. And and your imagination takes on something that isn't biblical. Heresies can emerge from our flesh. False teachings can emerge from our flesh. Don't be amazed when you're watching the false teachers on television think like, where in the world did they get that? They often they'll tell you that it comes from their imagination. This is my private revelation from God. Right. I just sat around and imagined it. And once I imagined it in vivid color, then I believed that it was true. And now I'm preaching it. So heresies can come from the human flesh within itself. So we want to be very careful about listening. So 13 times around the city and Jericho is to be the tithe of the land to God. This this is his. This belongs to him. So they get the rest of the land. Jericho is his. He's claiming it as his own. The first fruits of the land go uh, to the Lord. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests, I'm in verse 8, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Lord, advanced and blew the trumpet, the Ark of the Covenant, Of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets. The rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout, then you shall shout. So the ark Of the Lord. Uh, So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. Obedient order in worship, following a worship leader is what is being promoted here. We see an Old Testament and New Testament. I want to point something out Uh, Judges chapter 17, verse 6 says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Uh, within the church today, there's a lot of that going on. The, there's a, la- a profound lack of leadership. And, and so the church drifts. And as people move it around, it goes wherever it sort of wants to go naturally. It's a lot like going down the road and just taking your hands off the wheel of your car. The power's still all there and it's just going where it wants to. If the road is good and your alignment is good, you stay okay for a while, right? But you can't be like, i got to go all the way to New Hampshire. I'm looking tired. I'll just take my hands off the wheel. Bad things follow, okay? And so it is within the church. I want to give us a couple more thoughts here, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 14 begins at verse 29 by saying, let two or three prophets speak in the church, Paul is saying, and let the others judge, right? We hear certain false teachers within the church say, thus saith the Lord, and then they say some garbage. And, uh, you know, it's debatable. I'm fine with that concept of, uh, well, let's see if what they say comes true, right? Uh, Somebody declares, this is what the Lord says. All right, let's rock and roll. Let's see if this is what, in fact, the Lord says. You said the Lord told you this, so let's let this thing play out. Notice there in 1 Corinthians 14, I'm going to dwell here for just a minute, so stay with me, right? Joshua said, everyone needs to keep silent until I tell them to speak, until I tell them to shout. Your order of worship is going to be according to the worship leader, according to this pastor, this shepherd who's leading these people. There needs to be order in worship. Some of us have been in congregations where there's no order, right? You come in, and it's mayhem. You know, this morning, Jake's over here saying amen every time John says amen, right? A four-year-old, man, saying amen, right? My grandson, who is taught to say amen, you know what I'm saying? And he knows that amen, he knows that amen means I agree, okay? So that little guy over there is not just, he is, he's four. He's not just saying amen, right? He said, I agree with that. I don't know if you know that when you say amen, but that's what that means. So be it. Let it be as it has been said. I agree is what's being said. So he's a little out of order, but for a four-year-old, right? He's he's actually quite in order because of the things that he's been taught, the things that he understands. You know, he's probably wondering why you guys weren't saying amen. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, within the church, the mayhem, the chaos that many of us have experienced, where people are saying, this is a spirit-filled worship service, and it's pandemonium. There's no order. There's no control. People are doing whatever they want. Now, I'll be clear, right? We're a charismatic church. We believe in and endorse the gifts of the Spirit, speaking in tongues and Prophecy, but according to what 1 Corinthians 12, 13, to 14 say, particularly what I'm reading right here. In the congregational meeting, there's no call for speaking in tongues. This is a congregational meeting right here. Because strangers might come in who don't understand those gifts, right? And they would be freaked out by it. Paul specifically said, I'm paraphrasing if you hadn't noticed. Paul specifically says, this is what's going to happen if an unbeliever comes into your meeting. They experience you speaking in tongues. They experience you prophesying. They're going to flee thinking that you're crazy. So then he says, how should it be done? When believers are gathered together, meaning everyone is filled with the Spirit in this way, everyone believes in these gifts, and everyone exhibits these gifts, then this is how it should be done, one or perhaps two at a time. So then let the others judge whether that was actually prophecy, meaning... The other prophets in the room, right? How many times have you heard somebody, listen, listen, spirit filled Christian, right? Because if you said to God, I want to be born again, I want to be a child of God, you're saying, Give me your Holy Spirit. So you are born again by his indwelling of his Holy Spirit, so you have the Holy Spirit. How many times have you heard somebody? say, thus saith the Lord, and then everything they said that followed, you thought, that is a load of junk. Or you at least thought, I don't think so. The Holy Spirit within you was testifying of what it was hearing. Okay, So let the others judge, stay with me in this, really hear me in this. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. Meaning if somebody says, I don't think that's of the Lord, you should stop then he should stop and everyone should stay in silence. The Lord is saying there should be correction within the moment. Within the moment someone speaks like that. And if there is correction, then there should be silence and there should be that thoughtful reflection on the correction. For you can all prophesy one by one. Not all at the same time. Have we experienced that? You know, talking in tongues and prophecy and just nonsense going on. I mean, it's so interesting to me that when I read this and explain this, very often people who have been in those circles all of their lives are like, I've never heard this before. This has never been read to me, never been explained to me before. Right. And oh, that those churches would open the word of God and let it govern how they behave rather than their experience of, saying, well, this is the experience I've had, so therefore it must be right. Everyone's doing what is right in their own mind. We need to be governed by the word. Word, how does this begin? God says to Joshua, this is how I want it done. Joshua comes to the people and says, this is how God wants it done. We have God's written word on how God wants it done. So we should be governed based upon how he wants it done, how he wants his order of worship. Follow, you can all prophesy one by one, That all may learn and all may be encouraged. You know how many times I've heard them say, thus saith the Lord, and then whatever came out of their mouths was incredibly discouraging? You know, words of judgment and condemnation and wrath and woe and predictions of terrible things. I, I walked out of the meeting more filled with fear than anything else. It's it's interesting that what's supposed to be done by the prophets within the church, right? If a prophet goes out into public and speaks to the world, probably there is a lot of judgment and woe to be proclaimed. But if a prophet is speaking to the congregation, right, the children of God, children of God, father speaks to son, son speaks, speaks to brothers and sisters, you'd think the father would want to encourage his children, not cause them to feel ashamed and discouraged and afraid and right building up lifting up you know encouraging is what the holy spirit does in the midst of the body of christ and the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets hear that spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets the little bit of confrontation i've had with these spirit filled people and i say again i'm spirit filled and maybe they're spirit filled fine i'm not arguing the point The little bit of confrontation that I've had with them about, you know, you just said something that's not accurate to the word of God was, well, I I can't control it. Holy Spirit comes upon me. I have to speak. So if it's wrong, blame God. That's literally their attitude. This says right here, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets, meaning they have control of themselves. So that whole thing of I had to start start. Shouting in tongues. I couldn't help it. The Spirit came upon me and I just had to blurt it out. Not according to the Scripture. The Scripture says that you have self control. I would remind us uh, two things. I'll jump down to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This really pertains to Joshua and what's going on. Stay with me in this. Okay. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The ability to control yourself. Uh, You know, if you're filled with the Spirit, and and, and, and listen, I'm not saying that these people are not. What I'm saying is, filled with the Spirit, inspired to, right, uh, uh, utilize their gift in the Spirit they're not exhibiting the self-control that comes from the Holy Spirit to obey the Scripture and do it appropriately. It's important that we follow this. Against such things there is no law. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I want to just give you this. Lastly, verse 33, so we were reading about the prophets and the other prophets judging and keeping silent and everyone could learn uh, the spirit of the prophet, subject of the prophet, verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. In the church, God wants order. He wants order. If the gifts are going to be used, he wants them done in accordance with 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. In order. Within the congregational meeting, not to be used. Specifically stated, not to be used within the congregational meeting. Uh, blatantly, I'll say that those churches who practice that are being disobedient to God's word. It doesn't matter how much the Christians in that room enjoyed that experience, right? I mean, it's a blessing if they were doing it and there were only believers in the room, but they've opened it up to the public. It is a congregational meeting where the public is welcome in and there was the potential that the public could come in and literally according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, they would see you and think you out of your mind is what it says. That That isn't our our mission and our goal with an unbelieving world to to cause them to think we're crazy and to leave the congregation. It's supposed to be a warm, inviting environment of acceptance where they come in and they find the grace of God, right? You know, it it, it is the grace of God that leads to repentance. Uh, These are what we need to create for environment. So everybody's to keep silent. Listen, we had an occasion here when we started this church where we had a gentleman that was in attendance, and he started out slow. But uh, he, he got to the place where if the worship leader said, stand, he would sit down. If the worship leader said, go ahead and have a seat, he would stand up. And we had talked to him repeatedly about this because at first it was just like, you know, one song every couple of services where everybody else was seated and he would stand up. He would always find a place in the middle of the service and he would always stand stark upright, raise his hands in the air. And, you know, well, suddenly everybody else feels like they're less of a Christian because this guy's so filled with the Spirit that he's inspired to stand and none of us even noticed that the Spirit was saying that to us. And so then like other people start to stand and, you know, so the attention moves to him, right? Would we agree that the, the whole point of our worship service was to draw attention to Jesus Christ? And the whole focus moves to him. So we had two conversations with him where we said, Guy, um, surely you don't want to distract people from Jesus. So, you know, we stand, right? This morning we stood and we sat. We, we stand during certain songs. We sit during certain songs. And we have a worship leader who calls for those things to occur. So, you know, if you could just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit that's happening in our worship leader and stand. And so then it was every single song that we stood on, he sat on. Every song we sat on, he stood on. So we took him aside and told him literally today, if you do that, two deacons are going to sit with you. And today, if you do that, they're going to immediately usher you out of the building. And you can come back and talk to Pastor Will when we're done. But just know that if you stand up, you're being ushered out very first song stand right up two deacons lead him out tell him welcome to come back and uh talk about he came back and his whole thing was to set me and the word of god straight he literally told me at one point i don't care what the word of god says clearly you know what i'm saying i just can't can't follow the leadership within the church listen you guys right <clears throat> king saul Told by the Lord to go and destroy the Amalekites. Doesn't do that. Prophet Samuel shows up and says, why haven't you done this? And he he says, well, I didn't obey the Lord because I wanted to worship the Lord with all of the things that I kept alive. So I wanted to disobey the Lord in order to worship the Lord. And Samuel makes a statement there that all of us should be very familiar with where he said uh, that rebellion was equal to to witchcraft and stubbornness was the same as idolatry. So uh, as Christians, uh, we should not have a you know thought of veneration in our hearts for rebellion and stubbornness. I'm a very rebellious Christian. I'm a very stubborn Christian. You know I'm a malcontent. Well, then you, you know you might want to consider whether the Holy Spirit is actually working in your heart. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't inspire you know, stubbornness and rebellion against the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit working in our midst. So Joshua told them to keep silent. Verse 12, Joshua rose early in the morning. The priest took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark went on continually and blew the trumpets and the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord. While the priest continued blowing the trumpets. Second day they marched around the city once and returned to camp, so they did six days. Again, starting and ending each day with sacrifice, starting and ending each day at Gilgal, the place of remembrance of what the Lord had done for them. Verse 15, came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times and came in the same manner in that day only they marched around the city seven times the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that joshua said to the people shout for the lord has and there it is again past tense given you the city now the sh- city shall be doomed the king james says accursed by the lord to destruction and all who are in it only rahab the harlot. Shall live, she and all who are with her in her house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed. Everything in this city belongs to the Lord, and it belongs to the Lord for destruction. So if you take things from the city, you're assigning yourself unto that destruction. Here. You're you're saying that you want to be destroyed with everything in the city, lest you become accursed when you take the accursed thing. And make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Uh, It's interesting, uh, you guys. Achan's name means uh, to trouble or troubled. So you're going to trouble the whole camp if you do this. But all the silver and gold Vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. You shall, uh, they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted with the pri- uh, when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. The people shouted with a great shout. But the wall fell down. And the people went up into the city. Every man straight before him. And they took the city. There's uh, an interesting parallel woven in here that uh, sometimes goes unnoticed Uh, with a great shout and the trumpet blast the people are called to come up here so you know I always like it when those things are all together you know Thessalonians and what we're waiting for the voice of the archangel the trump of God and the shout from heaven that says come up here so how do they come up they come up in victory And come up and take the city. They utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both men and women, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. And again, the question comes up about, you know, this is a sort of genocide. How could God be doing these things, destroying all these people in this way? Well, uh, there's some interesting thought within this, that children who die before the age of accountability, according to the scripture, Go directly into the presence of the Lord. Okay. We have a few different uh, passages that indicate that to us, particularly David's son who passes away. And he's in such great mourning while the child is sick. And his servants are very concerned that when the child passes away, David suddenly is washing his face and eating a meal and his uh, vigor is being restored and they question him on why Why you are so mournful and now the child's died and your mourning seems to have ended. And David makes that statement about that child will never come to me again, but I will someday go to that child. So the indication of the child's already in the presence of the Lord. Uh, here, as I said, these people are incredibly murderous. And I've described to you some of how murderous they are, right? Uh, they worshiped. Um, uh, Molech and several other gods of sexuality and uh, so unwanted pregnancies were a result of that and as soon as the children were born often the very moment in childbirth they would they would birth the child in a worship ceremony to Molech and they would remove the child and the umbilical cord and placenta and they would throw that child and all of its birth into the burning open hands of an iron statue of Molech that was red hot and burned the child to incineration as an offering to Molech. Uh, they did this a lot. Uh, when you read in the scripture and it says that these nations caused their children to pass through the fires of Molech, that's what they're referring to. Um, uh, they uh, would offer their children in a more hideous way uh, to uh, You've heard of the god of Mammon, the god of money and power. Uh, they would take their firstborn child upon birth and seal it in an earthen jar, uh, and then build that into the wall of their business. Okay, like I'm, I'm watching your faces, and some of you are like so physically shocked by that. Right? This this is the heart of God, who is just horrified by the conduct of these. People. And he has sent his messengers, right? You know of one of them, Jonah, went to the city of Nineveh and called them to repentance, okay? He has repeatedly called these people to repentance and they have refused. So now God is ending those civilizations. He wants the history of them wiped out so that there isn't a few people left alive who can then carry on. I mentioned That Saul was supposed to wipe out the the Amalekites and he did not do that. And in the end of his life, right, it it was an Amalekite that took his life and the life of his son. So so had he been obedient to the Lord and killed all of the Amalekites, there'd been no Amalekite alive to kill him. You get to the book of Esther, right? Those are descendants of Amalek, king uh, of Amalek, who were trying to wipe out the entire nation of Israel. You come all the way to Herod who killed all of the children in uh, Bethlehem trying to kill Jesus. He claimed to be a descendant of uh, Amalek, the, the king of uh, the Amalekites. So, you know, uh, obedience to the Lord and, and wiping out, you know, we can take a, a less sinister approach to it, right? There are things God wants in our life to be utterly destroyed, to leave no remnant of it. Needs to be the sin, needs to be dealt with and done away with. So, the example is there for us. So, uh, happened as the people uh, heard the sound, uh, they went up, kill everything with the edge of the sword. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. The young men who had been spy, uh, who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother. Her brother and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. And it's going to tell us that they don't keep her outside the camp. But it's important to recognize how thoroughly integrated Rahab becomes to the nation of Israel. Because she ends up in the family line of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1 verse 5. Uh, uh, Solomon begot Boaz uh, by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. Jesse begot David, Uh, the king. David the king begot uh, Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. So, very first statement there. uh, Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Back in Joshua chapter 6, just to wrap this up as quickly as we can, verse 24. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Archaeology supports that all of the city has been burned. Not only did the walls collapse, but the city was completely burned. Only the silver and gold, the vessels of bronze and iron, excuse me, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers from uh, whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Then Joshua charged them at that time. This is a very interesting prophecy that just pops up from Joshua here in this moment. Again, proving how spirit-filled he is. Joshua charged them at that time saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation With his firstborn and with his youngest, he shall set up its gates. So uh, that statement, he shall lay its foundation with his firstborn and with his youngest, he shall set up its gates. That literally in the Hebrew language, he shall become childless is what's being said. Uh, The first beginning uh, being marked by the death of his oldest son, and his only surviving child dying at the time of its completion. The curse was accomplished 550 years after this declaration. You can see that in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34, where it says, In his days, Hile of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundations with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest son, Sega, and he set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. And then they perished. So remarkable uh, to see that Joshua you know, would make a statement like that. But honestly, you think about uh, all of the directions that the Lord has given Joshua and the evidence that when he says, we're going to do this, and then it's accomplished, The people should automatically be thinking like when Joshua comes forward and says, our battle plan is we're going to march around the city once a day. And then on the seventh day, we're going to do that. And then we'll blow the top. The walls will fall down. Like everybody should have been like, either this is going to come true or this guy is a lunatic. When it comes true, that's when you're like, okay, when this guy speaks, we should listen to what he has to say. So now he gives this prophecy, and a man ignores it and builds the city. And in the process, he loses his family. Consider that, the things that the Lord might be saying to us. Verse 27 to close, so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. I would think it would. That when a man uh, you know walks with the Lord like this, and you see the victory in his life, it should be a profound evidence to the working of the Holy Spirit in him and through him. Amen? So, Well, we'll uh, leave off right there, pick up on chapter 7 next week. Why don't we stand and we'll pray together. Father God, we are very grateful for the example of Joshua. And we ask that you would help us to have heard the things, and I do mean truly have Absorb them and take, taken them in in obedience, Lord, that we would have heard you speaking to us today. Help us to find ourselves obedient to you, that we would see these things accomplished in our own lives for usefulness to you, Lord. Not just for self-gratification, not for any kind of self-recognition that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in us, through us, by us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.